Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mike'd in Bed. I'm Josh. I'm Jasmine. And I don't really know how to preface this week. I've been Christmas shopping. Yeah, me too. Well, not shopping, but list building. I'm not checking it twice. Apparently, I didn't check something twice either. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't. (laughs) You got in trouble, so. I didn't get in trouble. The link was fine. It worked on my end. I can't help. That's operator error. My (laughs) grandmother, full disclosure, is a very much a fiend of Christmas shopping. And not in a bad way. She just, she likes to get the shopping done in -hmm. October. Yeah. You know, her birthday's in October, and once that's over, she just kind of wants to focus on gift giving. Um, so we get gentle-ish <laughs> reminders that we need to send lists for us and the kids as well. Um, so yeah, we, we do our best with that. And, you know, some things get lost in translation, but yeah. uh, <laughs> that, yep. we, we revise and soldier on and mm-hmm. uh, do our best to make her happy. <laughs> and others. She's not the only yeah, no, one. She's not the only one. I she's usually start the... getting all of the text messages and emails around the same time. It's like, a feeding frenzy. It's like, we got to shop when the deals are good. <laughs> so yeah. I usually... I get it. But... I, I, this is normal for, I feel like, our family for the past several years for us oh, to yeah. be doing Christmas shopping. And now I just do it because I send everyone a list. So now I have my own list for everyone. So I'm like, okay. Yeah, it was helpful breaking it down by person. I will say there's nothing better than in November and December to not have to do Christmas shopping. Yeah. I think the only thing I do in November, December is find like stocking stuffers. Yeah. Which is like not a headache to begin with. So it's like very easy, very calm. I'm not like trying to scour the stores for a toy that every kid wants or something and I can't find it anywhere. Exactly. So I do appreciate the October Christmas shopping. It's just it was an adjustment for me at first. Yeah. (laughs) I ran the gamut when it came to Christmas shopping. I think I was at my worst, like, the few years before you and I met. I would go shopping, like, usually the week before Christmas, which is... That's true. You did that even up until at least a year or two into our relationship as well. Yeah. I've recently gotten better. It's like, there should be a gift coming. I'm like, Christmas is in, like, three days. What are you talking about? (laughs) It should be coming. It might arrive a day or two later. <laughs> I was like, you'll be it'll lucky arrive, if it gets here on time. It'll arrive by Boxing Day, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how was your week? I mean, that was That was week. your I, week? Just I the... was cranking out lists for people. Um, yeah. Which is fine. It's a nice little escape, so I didn't mind it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I work too, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, what irked your soul this week? I don't. Do I have one? You sure you don't have one? I don't know if I have anything that irked my soul. I mean, I get irked very easily. You do. <laughs> Doesn't take much to irk my soul. You do. <laughs> I think I just so. So we've talked about this before. Our kids have different types of cries. Oh yeah, they do. And you know, I, mean... I love them both the same. Not the cries. The children. Um, there. You hate the cries of saying. Just kidding. No, I don't. <laughs> I wish I did. Um, our youngest just has this piercing cry, and it it's never it's it's always Defcon one. 
Yeah, her. her cry sounds like she's always in immediate danger, yes. like life or death situation. And it's just always a shriek. I get so heightened by that, <laughs> and that has coincided with Mama. Like she is in hardcore Mama mode. Yeah, where's Mama true. at all times? I need yeah. Mama in my life. Yeah, and I am clearly not Mama. You are not, and I hear she's about making it. that known. Yep. So, I mean, she doesn't irk my soul, but that part of her development... Irks your soul? Irks my soul. Because I mean, our oldest went through that mama phase, like, outside of the normal, like, mama phase, when they're, like, infants and they know you're, like, their main source of survival. But there's, like, a stage, I feel like, in between, like, 13 months and, like, 18, 19 months. It comes in between that. It doesn't last that long. But, like, I feel like there's a stage. I don't know if they're going through a leap. But there's something where like mama mama disappearing is like the worst thing to them which yeah. makes sense right it makes sense in my head like if i were their age and all of a sudden i walked out of a room they're just like what yeah <laughs> it's like you go down to the laundry room and it's world war three yeah it's over everyone's screaming <laughs> just how rough. dare mama leave us yeah it's so bad it's really bad <laughs> I guess that's probably the the peak of the irking the soul. They don't mean to. They don't mean to. They're just trying to communicate. Yeah. So it's it's all right, but I can understand her cry getting to you. <laughs> it's so funny though. Funny to you. <laughs> Boy. Yeah. Yeah, but I really didn't have anything. Nothing like. Nothing stood out in irking my soul this week. Everything irked my soul per usual. Okay. And I feel like the stuff that irked my soul that I would love to talk about, I'm not going to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if we should have a trigger warning for this. I guess if I'm saying that, maybe we should. Um, I mean, I guess you can. I don't know what you're about to talk about that well, you think is going to trigger is, someone. You know, we, it's always good to say that just in case. Yeah, we, we've talked before about mental health and mental illness on this podcast. Yeah. Um, one of our most well-received episodes focused on that. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to dive a little bit deeper into our own experiences with mental health and mental illness and um, if you or a loved one has grappled with these things, uh, you're welcome to listen. But if you're going through a lot right now, you know, obviously use your discretion. Yeah. Um, for sure. But um, I guess I kind of just want to start by talking about whether or not mental health was brought up when we were growing up. And if so, or if not, why we think that might be. So either I'm speaking very low, which wouldn't be surprising because I'm usually a very low speaker in the first place, or you're like shouting. I'm not trying to shout. <laughs> I am further away from the microphone. Okay. And I'm a little there you go. crammed in the That's corner. That's probably, you're not in the corner. You're, you're crammed well, in your I'm area. I'm crammed in my area. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, no, mental health wasn't really talked about growing up i think we might even touched on that the first time we talked about mental health um and the main reason why i think it's important to bring this up is the very first week of october is mental health awareness week and then october 10th this year was um world mental health day so we thought it'd be good to kind of just touch back on our own mental health check in with each other 
but mm-hmm. also just talk about it in a little bit more than maybe in detail than we did last time. But no, it wasn't really talked about a ton growing up. It was kind of made as something like if you showed it, you were weak, if that makes any sense. Like if you mentioned you were sad or something was worrying you too much, it's like, oh, you're strong. Be fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's what I heard probably up until college. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that it was necessarily said directly to be a sign of weakness in my house growing up, but it was more of, well, we have to keep up appearances, you know, and and what that entails is if we're going through something, we just soldier on in silence. Like, suffering in silence is a big hallmark of my family, particularly on my mom's side. that's just what you do and it's kind of a in a lot of ways a product of you know where my mom grew up and that's just the attitude that that community has as a whole you know it's a very very small rural town and you've been there I mean it's not exactly a like it's definitely a small town yeah and it's lost in the 70s I think yeah in a lot of ways um, the suffering through silence, I think, is a good summary of what I was trying to say, too. It was just kind of like the whole, you'll, you're fine, just be strong, was like a way to, like, I guess, prevent you from communicating to others outside of the person you told that <laughs> you weren't doing well. So it's like, keep it to yourself. Yeah. Like, people don't need to know, which is awful because, like, it gave me the feeling of being ashamed. The fact mm-hmm. that I didn't feel, I guess, the way I was supposed to feel, whatever that was supposed to mean at the time. So I felt very ashamed for being anxious and ashamed for being worried about things constantly. And yeah. ashamed for having panic attacks. Like, I felt like it was my fault. Like, I couldn't control my own emotions and feelings about things. Well, that's the thing, too, is the unspoken rule growing up in my family was don't be a burden yeah. on somebody. Yeah. You know, if you're going through something, that's fine. Go through it. But people have a lot going on as it is. They've got their own stuff. Like, don't be putting that on somebody else, which is super harmful, I think, to a, a young Terrible child advice. to internalize. <laughs> to yeah. give to anyone, child or adult. Yeah. <laughs> but again, like you said, I don't know for you. I think it was kind of more so maybe the small town vibe, the way your mom was brought up. Um, I feel like it's also like a generational thing with my mom being a boomer and your grandparents being boomers and Mm -hmm. your mom being brought up by boomers. It just kind of, I feel like, and I'm not blaming boomers. Everyone has their own thing. But I feel like certain ways that mental health is dealt with, I think, looks different by the generation. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Yeah, I, I definitely think we went through things, like different things, you and I growing up. Um, but I think it's amazing to me how much those experiences still impact how we function. Oh, 100%. I have to be aware of the things that I'm saying to our children to like prevent repeating the same yeah. stuff because I know it's harmful because it harmed me in a sense. And so, and just the way like I respond to other people because of how, you know, I was. I guess brought up to feel a certain way about different subjects of mental health or just because of how people handled me not being mentally well at certain points in time. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so, you know, moving into and beyond that, um, like, are there specific triggers, whether they're from childhood or adulthood, that you would feel comfortable speaking to? Uh, I mean, it really depends, because I feel like I can watch things on like movies and television shows and see similar situations that I went through and not be triggered. Mm-hmm. I think that because my mind sees it as, oh, but this is function, so it's okay. Even I'm, if it's like a true crime or true I don't rape. watch true crime for a reason. Well, there you go. <laughs> like, I don't think I could watch true crime. I mean, I had a decent amount of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, people might say that I had an adverse childhood, to be honest with you. It wasn't, probably went through a lot of adversity, but for some reason seeing it in like a fiction form doesn't trigger me as much now i haven't seen what is it euphoria i feel like that would mess me up there's reasons why i don't watch certain shows (laughs) that one i will not ever watch (laughs) um so i if it feels too real i can start to be triggered like i can feel my heart race um race a little bit especially in terms of like if it's about like suicidal ideation or attempts and things like that that can get to me quite a bit depending on like how realistic it is Mm -hmm. and kind of who's going through that yeah um people crying yeah (laughs) and i I don't mean that in a mean way but like certain types of crying or why someone is crying can really really trigger me it really just depends on the, the reason behind it yeah yeah that makes sense yeah um for me and i've said this probably on at least three (laughs) at least three episodes of this podcast religion i (laughs) did not realize was a trigger until relatively recently um having grown up in the church my whole life and uh the son of a pastor the nephew of another pastor um i didn't realize how much was forced on me in terms of religion until probably a year or two ago and so like it's not a a trigger for me is actually engaging with religion like religion can exist i mean it's going to and i can talk to people who are religious but i can't open a bible and read it like i just can't it's not healthy for me mentally um so that's that's a big one um for me and um in terms of anything else i mean there's a lot of second guessing i do uh that comes from having grown up in a way that you had to be a certain person yeah like i wasn't allowed to be the person i wanted to be i had to be this certain character or ideal and um that was frustrating and I think, you know, that's something that I, I certainly want to avoid for our kids. Like, I wouldn't want to force them to do anything or, or be someone or something they're not. Like, you know, I would want them to know that they're good enough as they are. And um, there were times I didn't feel that way growing up. I agree with that. Like, I... I was in an interesting situation and I still see some of it today with our children where like I don't want to like 
disrespect my mom in any way, shape, or form. She's had her struggles. I feel like I do genuinely, she tried as hard and as best as she could to be the best mother she could under her own situations that she was dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um, And being a single mom is hard. But there's definitely some, I think, some deeper things that she was going through, not even just with being like a single mom and working all the time and having like a child. She has multiple children, but like I was the youngest at the time, so I was the one still at home. Um, I feel like she struggles a lot with her own blackness. Mm -hmm. And she projected a lot of that onto me growing up, which was really weird for me because I like I have sisters who are very proud to be black and then I have a mom or have a mom she's not dead I'm sorry I have a mom who will say things like oh why are you going natural mm-hmm. you know who constantly has questions about you know my choices that I'm choosing to take to embrace who I am that she doesn't like it because it doesn't meet what she perceives to be the standard of beauty so like having natural hair versus straightening it mm-hmm. um certain weight (laughs) certain body types and stuff like she's very like hyper focused on that stuff and she definitely was when I was in that preteen teenage years of my life it was really 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 obvious that she wasn't comfortable with what either I was trying to explore trying to figure out but once I got in college she didn't have much say and that is when I decided to stop getting like relaxers and stuff and like see if I liked my hair just being the way that like there was a lot of stuff I was trying to explore especially with being black because I've been told many things that kind of hurt my perception of what it means to be a black woman and so kind of trying to find that and be proud of it um, was what I went through in college and I got there and I'm very proud to be a black woman but I still feel for my mom that maybe there's some some internal <laughs> stuff that she still needs to work out as she's still projecting things, not necessarily onto me anymore, but now onto our kids. Yeah. Um, when it comes to their hair, because they have curly hair, mm-hmm. but she likes, she just, she makes it quite known the type of hair she would prefer they had mm-hmm. um, and talks about their skin tone and their, you know, the stuff like that, that doesn't make sense. Like, having or telling your child you know you don't want to go outside because you don't want to get darker yeah like that triggered me (laughs) and it's hard because like as the daughter but then also as a mother to someone else how do you take that situation and reframe it and making it a learning experience for both of the people for both my mom and my child now because i wholeheartedly disagree with that statement because it was said in a negative way there's nothing wrong with being a dark-skinned person and so like things like that trigger me but i do think it's just deeper in her like there's some stuff that she needs to process Mm -hmm. um i just don't like that it's projected continuously either on me or or our kids yeah and um especially in terms of how they look so Yeah. yeah i agree with that and you know i've express that to you on multiple occasions it's one thing to have to educate someone in the community like if they were to go to school exactly it's another like family and home should be a safe space especially especially when it's a fellow black woman (laughs) like it's so like what am i supposed to say like it's just it's a whole nother it makes it more complex because not only like are you also black and you're saying those things but you're also black and you're my mother 
Mm-hmm. So it's just a lot of that. And it does every time she says something like that, it does trigger me because it brings me back to the things that she, she said to me growing up that were very similar and made me feel insecure and thinking I should look a certain way when I could honestly not change a lot of that about myself. So Yeah. Yeah, at the end yeah. of the day, like you want to feel comfortable in your own skin and for me it was not so much a physical thing although you know I was very rail thin most of my life and heard about it from kids at school or people in church especially older people Um, but for me it was more the behaviors like you're not allowed to make mistakes Mm -hmm. you know you're you're the part of the first family of the church you can't do anything that would be perceived as negative or sinful and so you know that's a lot of pressure um that both my sister and i had and uh we were able to pretty much live up to that but i wouldn't say i enjoyed it and i wouldn't say it was worth the stress um growing up so yeah i think that's like a point for like a lot of younger people and maybe some people who are age who went through it but the stress like the academic stress that parents put on their children because I also had to deal with that too growing up and like yeah. at times things like that can be a trigger I, I when it comes to like performance and stuff like I can get very anxious about that because of kind of the pressures that were put on me throughout school like I don't have a single memory from my schooling age <laughs> where like I wasn't pressured even in college even though like really had nothing to do with her still being like asked constantly how my grades were like I'm already stressed I don't need you breathing down my neck like leave me alone <laughs> like yeah. I, you, you know and it's different when you're in grade school and like they're kind of monitoring things but it like never ended yeah um which was a struggle and I know it's still a struggle for a lot of young people today trying to put boundaries up but also be respectful at the same time I feel like it's hard to do yeah I mean for the longest time I was only attached to the result of whatever I did performance wise whether it was academic or athletic like if I got a C on a test well that was like failure basically like Mm -hmm. anything under an A minus was really Um, I largely put that pressure on myself Um, but for me it was more out of a desire to be recognized and Mm. an inner competitiveness because of that Um, but what really changed things for me, I mean, I work in sales and it's one of the, not one of the few, but one of the main professions, I guess I should say, where your numbers basically tell the story about how successful you are. And the scoreboard is basically up there for everybody to see. Uh, so in order to be in a profession like that and not have it be toxic, I had to fall in love with the process of doing the work as opposed to the result of it and that took some doing but it was ultimately healthier for me and it's something I wish I would have had throughout school because then I think not only would I have done even better than I did but I wouldn't have had anywhere close to the amount of anxiety and I wouldn't have given a shit what my mom thought about my successes you know yeah I think that's fair I didn't enjoy academia or any of it until I was in college yeah like until then I I hated it probably not separation. like 
Yes. Like, I didn't, like, hate learning. I love learning, and I love learning then. But I hated the fact that I had to meet someone else's expectations. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, what confuses me about that approach is just, you know, once you get past school, um, at least in my view, you realize how much out of proportion you blew Mm -hmm. the pressure you put. So, like, why would someone put that on a child knowing that at the end of the day, you know, it has not little bearing but not a ton of bearing on what actually happens in their lives yeah it doesn't define them as people yeah exactly and sometimes it can come across as you're like not you sorry but like parents are making it as like part of their identity and that's not fair and i think in my mom's case it was her desire to be competitive with other parents and her own insecurities there because that happened like my rivalry with who became the valedictorian of our high school um, was, I think, in large part because his mom liked to brag about him. And my mom felt some type of way about that. That's interesting. That could yeah. be a whole other episode yeah, in and of itself. That could be a whole... <laughs> That's a different rabbit hole for another day. So to dig even deeper into this lovely conversation <laughs> but healthy no it's, it's always it's healthy to important... talk about one's mental health and yeah. your status and how things are going but like i guess when did you feel your mental health was at its lowest and how did you kind of overcome that um wow so many times i mean full disclosure for those who aren't regular listeners i am bipolar one um, you have bipolar. You I are have not well, bipolar. <laughs> I have bipolar one. Uh, it is a part of who I am, and uh, I've been to inpatient four or five times over the decade I had it, but I was not diagnosed until a few years ago. And once I was diagnosed, I actually have not been to inpatient since. Um, now there's nothing wrong with inpatient. If you need inpatient. You need inpatient. Go Go to inpatient. Like, I'm very glad and grateful that I did uh, each time that I did. Now, uh, when you do have bipolar disorder um, and you're in full mania and you're manic, uh, you don't have the best recollection of what you said or what you did during that time period. And so what tends to be... The low point is, for me at least, when you come down from that mania and you realize, oh my god, like, I have probably done and said a lot of things I regret and I don't, like, I thought I was myself in that heightened state, but clearly I'm not. Now I have to reconstruct reality. And that's incredible incredibly hard work to do um and when i was in inpatient that most recent time when i was diagnosed i think it was a little over two years ago um it took me once i came down from that and i came down quickly once they figured out what was going on and how to best treat it um 
I was there, was I there three weeks or four weeks? I think it was three. It was like three and a half. Three you and a half. You were there for almost a whole month. Yeah, for, for almost a whole month. And that second half of that journey was just trying to rebuild my way of viewing reality in the world. And by the end of it, I felt good. I was like, okay, whatever they put me on, you know, is working. I'm going to keep taking it, but um, I needed to to come back from that because some people genuinely enjoy the mania and being manic, and I did too in the moment. But when I came down and was on medication that actually did help me. I wanted nothing to do with mania again. I was like, I just constructed a false reality and did a lot of collateral damage in doing so. So I'm going to keep taking this medication (laughs) and I'm not going to do that again if I can help it. So yeah, I mean, there were other times that were definitely low um, and, you know, depressive times can be rough. Like, I think there was a time in Pittsburgh oh, where yeah. I was, I just didn't want to get out of bed. Yeah. And those times are hard. Um, but I haven't really gone through an episode like that since Pittsburgh. Um, but that was, yeah, that was tough too. Um, Anytime you come off the mania, it's just, yeah, it's rough. But how about you? Oh, geez. I mean, probably not to the extent of that, because I I couldn't imagine. And I was there for some of those situations, but not all. Um, I feel like I've been fairly stable with my mental health for the past... Well, if you take out postpartum anxiety that happened, um, I feel like I've been fairly stable for maybe the past five, seven years where like I felt okay Mm -hmm. and I knew I could communicate if I didn't. I would say high school was probably like my lowest point because I didn't feel like I could communicate that I wasn't okay. Yeah. Um. Which is, again, not not good. Parents, I think, need to do a bit better in making sure they're having open communication with their children. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, and again, we you did do the trigger warning, but my sophomore year, I did try to kill myself. No one really knows that information until now. I don't think I've ever told my mom that happened. I know I did not tell my sisters either, even though I think at least one of them knew I wasn't doing well. But so that was probably my lowest. And I just wasn't in a good space. I didn't feel safe at home, which was part of it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really come out of that until like I felt like I had a decent system at school like i actually i actually trusted my guidance counselor i know there's some people out there who don't care for their guidance but i she was i felt like she was like legitimately there and was helping me ever since i kind of i think one of my teachers noticed i wasn't myself and communicated that to a guidance counselor um and then i would just seeing her i think i've seen her like once or twice a week 
and she checked in and I did tell she was like the only other person I think who knew that I attempted to do that and it mm-hmm. failed because I'm here <laughs> I'm happy it failed I'm I freaked out failed. almost instantly when I realized what I had done and did everything possible I did not go to school that day I pretended to be sick and I did everything possible to throw up and <laughs> so that I would be okay I freaked out instantly and you know told my guidance counselor and she kind of worked with me from sophomore year until I graduated um high school to make sure like I was on the best path I could be mm-hmm. I didn't unfortunately trust my PCP during that time she would pretty much tell my mom everything yeah so I didn't which is totally against yeah because like once you're 14 yep. at least here and and PA <laughs> you know you're, there are things you should be keeping to yourself like even if I, I I never told my PCP what happened. Um, I wouldn't even tell her about the suicidal ideation I had. And I do still struggle with that, but I haven't had any suicidal ideation, I think, for at least... How long have we been back in Central, like, PA? Four years? So it's probably been, like, four four or five years. Um, I had... I struggled a little bit in Pittsburgh. I don't remember why. It's probably just like us mutually struggling at the same time. We had a lot of struggles in Pittsburgh, yeah. <laughs> Love Pittsburgh, but I was like mentally I had some struggles. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's probably, you know, it was after, I think it was after my miscarriage. Again, yeah. I'm so happy you did that trigger warning in the beginning. I told you. <laughs> things just come I out. That, yeah. But yeah, it was, that was the lowest point for me, that, that moment in sophomore year when I did that. Um and then not telling anyone except for this stranger at my high school who ended up helping me mm-hmm. through the rest of my, my time there. Um, I didn't actually, like I said, I never told my mom. I don't even think I told her I was struggling. Yeah. I just wanted her to get help because yeah. her issues were impacting my already existing anxiety. Um, the household was toxic which was further worsening the anxiety and it got to the point where in my young head where I was just like well if I was gone (laughs) then no one would have to like like I wouldn't be a burden anymore Mm -hmm. Um, and no one would have to worry about me and then I would no longer have to like freak out and like worry about people or disappointing people because either I'm not doing this right or I'm not doing that right and so that's how I processed it in my head which wasn't correct and like I said I'm happy I, I realized that and that I'm here today but when you're that young, like you're you're trying to piece everything together and sometimes it's not always the most logical. Like um and, and we still struggle with that as adults, but I said thank you to that guidance counselor. You know, whoever wherever you are now, um, you were very helpful. And also like my friends, like our friendship bond became very solid. Mm-hmm. Um, probably like some months after that had happened, which I think helped keep me where I needed to be um, and I just had a better outlook on like things and trying my best to put forth boundaries with people who don't like boundaries yeah um, which is still a struggle to this day <laughs> so yeah. but we're I always look at we're always trying we're always trying to improve and better ourselves and you know I feel like my mom is doing a better job at that um from I I'd rather someone get help later than not at all so yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that's that's a that's a good share. I mean, I've told you before that I tried to kill myself as well. Now, my circumstance was a little different in the sense that I was manic at the time and I was highly delusional. Yeah. So, in my view, 
I was fulfilling some kind of cosmic act that needed to happen, um, crashed my car into a telephone pole, and somehow still decided to stick with religion for far longer than I should have. Um, glad that that's not a part of my life anymore because, you know, anything that can lead you there, uh, not, not worth my time anyway. Um, and for anyone who says, oh, you know, you weren't reading it right or you were misinterpreting it. Well, you know, if you, if you follow the, the Christian story uh, at its most basic, uh, it's a pretty crazy sacrificial kind of thing. And so uh, I'd, I'd like for people to, to take a closer look at what they're believing and why and the kind of impact it can have on their lives. Um, because for me, like I said, it's very triggering and it's very, very toxic, uh, any sort of religious belief. And um, I, I like hearing arguments and statements from people who are non-believers uh, because it acts as kind of a medicine to keep anything religious at bay because um, I have no time for it. But like you, I think that um, my mom would benefit from therapy and I think my greatest frustration on my mental health journey is the lack of support, the lack of understanding that I've gotten from my mom over the past decade. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I think most people would benefit from some sort of therapy, but um, some more so than others. And she's somebody who... I think really needs it. But what are some of your coping strategies for positive um, mental health and then how have you developed? <laughs> so just for overall positive mental health, because I feel like so mental health is a little bit different from like our actual mental health conditions, right? Like well, if yeah. we've been diagnosed, but I kind of do the same thing to kind of deal with both. So does it have like make sure that I have the best well being possible? Um, it is important for me to do things that I love, uh, which for me is being with my family. So I tend to get <laughs> a little irritated the more I have to do things that aren't related to being with my family. <laughs> I value my family. I value that space and I value that time. Um, and then some other things are just like working out. It's a good stress relief. It kind of helps me get to a place where I don't feel as anxious in the morning. Like it's a good way for me to start my day. Um, and that has always worked for me is doing some sort of exercise, whether it's walking, running, plotting strength, whatever there is out there, like it usually does wonders for me. Um, and just trying to be positive about things, learning from mistakes when I make them, trying to change the way I think about situations so I don't get in that loop in my head where my anxiety kind of starts to go up a bit or like I keep repeating an event or a situation over and over again, over analyzing it and getting worried. And mm -hmm. I do my best to kind of change the way I think about things. Um, and that's only been possible because I, you know, therapy, yeah. <laughs> um, I do, I prefer a cognitive behavioral therapy because a lot of, for, a lot of it for me is how I perceive the event or perceive the situation. So if I can change that and realize when things are in my control and when they're out of my control, I do a better job at dealing with situations. Yeah. So. All good ones. Um, on my end, you know, 
being bipolar, I take my medication every day religiously. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, you know, I would not think to skip a dose because I don't want to go back to that place of mania and depression and confusion um, and anxiety. So that is my biggest um try to get a decent amount of sleep but more than getting more or less sleep it's going to sleep around the same time every night seems to work best for me um so that consistency having a predictable routine uh is helpful for me as well um i do better working remotely like working from home that's a good one um it's that's something I actually didn't know, but some employers make accommodations for people with diagnosed mental illnesses to not come in the office. I, you know, I'm a productive person in general, but when I'm working remotely as opposed to in an office, I'm way more productive because I'm not anxious. I don't have the social anxiety component. Um, I don't feel the pressure as much and I can just kind of do my work uh, at my pace and, and feel good about it uh, so yeah working remotely uh, is big for me and um, laughing is also big because if I can laugh at something it's very hard to be afraid of it um, so that helps with a lot of, of anxious thoughts and depression as well Awesome. I do think the, like, reaching out, if so if you're working and you are, you know, struggling mentally, like, with your mental health, or if you have a mental health condition and you think something, a change in maybe what you see or where, who you're around could improve your productivity or just your performance in general at work, I think that is a conversation that if you're comfortable, because, of course, if you're going to disclose something like that, you have to be 100% comfortable doing yeah. that. You don't um, want to jeopardize your job. Yeah, and sometimes there might be a way around it. Like, if you know your job offers a hybrid kind of life and you haven't taken advantage of it yet, maybe you should try doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, just trying what they do offer. Um, but if you are in a situation where you really like your job, but you are struggling being in the office, but you know that you are you could do well and even be better at your job if you were elsewhere, I feel like that's a conversation to maybe try to have without maybe disclosing too much of, like, your personal your personal self and especially in terms of your mental health condition um if you don't want to some people don't mind telling others but if you do you know there's a ways i think around that to have that kind of conversation because it is interesting how one's work environment could impact kind of just their whole day yeah <laughs> so. i mean you spend so much time working in your adult life that you have to be comfortable and confident in that environment and growing up with a family that was not the most confident, you know, I subconsciously picked up on all of that over the course of two decades. And so if I can't see what I'm doing, like on a virtual call, I can see exactly, I can direct my own image basically. Yeah. And I can't, I can't do that in person. Yeah. All that to say is find you an employer that values flexibility. Yep. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's our that's our mental health episode. We got a toddler quote, which I think you told me earlier today. Um, where uh, I'll, I'll set the stage. You were dancing with him after dinner. 
Oh uh, right? yeah, so <laughs> we were having like family dance night. Family dance night. And so we just play music and we like dance around before they have to go out for bath and bed. Helps get some of that energy out. Yes. Um, and it actually has worked. I know some people are like would not wound them up. Nope, because they're already wound up. So <laughs> it helps kind of get some more of that energy out. And I he wanted me to do like this weird dance, and I was just like, no, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I might hurt myself. And he, he was just like, he's like, you might have to call the doctor. I was like, yes, but if I hurt myself, I might need the doctor. And he's like, that would make me sad because you would need your phone and you would have to turn the music off. (laughs) (laughs) So he wasn't sad that I would hurt myself. He was sad that I would have to stop the music in order to call the doctor. And I was like, priorities, buddy. There you go. Don't let anyone interfere with your joy. Oh, man. Um, but all that to say is, like, you know, thank you all for listening and to this mental health episode. Um, if any one of you out there are struggling with suicidal ideation or, you know, you're you're very much thinking about it, you can always dial 988 suicide prevention hotline it's always there it's a resource that you can definitely use you are not alone um and uh for those who are struggling in other ways there are resources out there uh you can find your local nami organization yeah your local nami affiliate um if you don't know it you can just go on nami.org put in the zip code where you live and they'll pull up some that are nearby in your area they offer tons of resources from support groups to classes just things to to help you be the best you absolutely all right thanks everybody take care